भगवते वासुदेवाया ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाया ओम नमो भगवते Live from the Govardhan Echo Village in Maharashtra, India, this is Wisdom of the Sages podcast. I'm your host, Raghunath, with our co-host, Kostuba, and we are here with 81 students and about 60 people from our training and a very, very special guest. This is our first guest on the podcast, yeah. and it's one of our favorite people in the world. I can, I can, I'm sure I'm speaking for Postuba. Thank you. Um, Srila Radhanaswamy Maharaj, who is basically the inspiration behind this incredible, cutting-edge, world-renowned eco-village. Award-winning. Award-winning eco-village, where we do our teacher trainings every year. And he's the genius who said, let's build an eco-village in the middle of this sort of what is this? It's like a middle of nowhere in India. And now it's become this place that it's on everybody's radar. Everybody in the West, like, I want to do a yoga retreat there. I want to go there. I want to visit there. I want to check it out there. And it's un- when you associate with a person who has that type of vision, it, you don't even quite get it. I, I, can, I remember first coming here, and I didn't see the vision. I thought, look, at this is interesting, interesting. And now many years later, I was like, I get it. I get it. I get it. And having these like visionaries in my life, it's, uh, Maharaj is like, it's inspiring. It's, 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 uh, it, it, makes, it gives me more faith in, in, in this process of bhakti yoga, and it gives me more faith in um, these great these teachings. So um, um, do you want to intro- introduce Maharaj oh, uh, as, his, as uh, 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 what he's done and... Maybe we could just give a quick bio. There's so much that could be said. But uh, you can read about uh, Radhanath Swami's life in, the book, in his memoir, The Journey Home, which is a really fascinating book. It's a great book. That's, in one sense, it's an easy read, but you learn so much about the entire yoga and bhakti cultures. And that book covers how when he was a teenager in 1970, he hitchhiked. He was born in Chicago, but at that point, he hitchhiked from Greece through Turkey, through Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, into India then went up and lived in the Himalayas with the yogis and then traveled throughout India, meeting many of the leading names in yoga <coughs> and a lot of very important spiritual figures. Uh, he's also written a book called The Journey Within, which is a New York Times bestseller about uh, bhakti yoga. He's, and then here in Mumbai, for many years, he's led a very dynamic and large community of bhakti yogis uh, who not only are exceptionally wonderful, wonderful spiritually deep people, but they've uh, created many uh, fantastic projects, bringing their devotional sentiments into the practical world, including the Bhaktivedanta Hospital in Mumbai, which is incredible. Just a to- again a cutting edge project that really has taken the idea of not just physical care, but is also spiritual care in the medical field to new heights. And the, the, the Govardhan Eco Village we're at here, we're at now. Uh, there's Varshana Eye Camp, which is helping people that are going blind, uh, and, and so many other. Uh, it would be, of course, midday meals in Mumbai, which feeds, I think, over 300,000 children in the schools of Mumbai every, every day, and so many other things. But beyond all this, he's just an exceptional character uh, in the sense that it's, it's, it's rare to meet 
you know, a walking sage, a walking saint. It's like he's walked out of the pages of the Ramayana or the Mahabharata and we, and walked into our lives and into our hearts. Yes. You know, and I will say wherever he goes, the people around him are so inspiring. You know, we had one long time ago, I'm sure Maharaj remembers, one of our ladies on our pilgrimage, the first day of the pilgrimage, she just, all she wanted to do was come early and she, she read Journey Home and she was so inspired that book. It's, if you haven't read Journey Home, that is such a gripping real life story peppered with incredible amounts of real world Vedic truths, very applicable to life on a person's journey. We all found our journey home in that book, I think it's safe to say. But this young girl wanted to come and just do some service at the temple. So she came a few days early because I was going to be there a few days early. And then we got to hear Radha Swami give class to 5,000 people that night. And then she tripped and she broke her ankle, had a big cast on her leg. And we, Radha Swami said, let's immediately take her to the Bhaktivedanta hospital, this beautiful hospital, these I tell you, this hospital of all great devotee doctors, the Bhakti Yoga Hospital. It's where you actually want to be in the hospital. That's when you love the hospital. Hospital, yeah. And, um, you know, we, have, we do great things and fun things and exciting things and spiritual things on pilgrimage. She said her stay in that hospital was one of the most spiritual experiences of her life. She said, I remember at the end of, the, of, a, of a very dynamic pilgrimage and tour, where she said that that was the highlight of her trip. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> it's true, Maharaj. If, if a lot of uh, Americans haven't been to Bombay or Westerners haven't been to Bombay, the, the bit, the, it's a little shocking for an American to go into Bombay and they haven't seen things. And sometimes there's beggars or sometimes there's dirty things on the street. And I remember bringing my wife in 2003. You were so kind to us. And um, she was shocked. She was a little shocked. She was like, this is India. I wasn't expecting this. And then she came to Chaupati, the temple that you've started and you have so many students there and uh, disciples there. After four days, she said to me, let's, maybe we should move to Bombay. <laughs> and it's just the power of a person like yourself that you send like a ripple effect into the universe and you attract and bring people higher. So we are just in awe and we try to, uh, you were just like our compass in our life. And we're just super honored to have you in the show. It brings up the whole caliber of what we're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming here, Marsh. It is my honor and great fortune to be among you. Thank you. So we are reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam in the first canto, chapter three, excuse me, chapter three, text... We were going back to the one with Korma because we thought it might oh, be an interesting yeah. topic for Radha Swami to speak on. Yes. So we're going to go back to text. Uh, oh, you wanted to do Korma? Okay. Yeah. There was Don Ventari. Okay. The 11th, text 16, the 11th incarnation. Would you, shall we chant our mantras? Yes. <laughs> That's why I pursue, I keep him close. He keeps me on track. Nasta Prayanam Namastritam Ram Chaivan Rotamam Devin Saraswati Vyasam Tatojayam Mudirayet. Before reciting the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the very means of conquest, one should offer respectful obeisances to the personality of God, Narayan, unto Narayan Rishi, the supermost human being. 
unto Mother Saraswati, the goddess of learning, and unto Srila Vyasadeva, the author. Nasta Prishabhadreshu Nityam Bhagavat Sevaya Bhagavati Uttamashloke Bhaktir Bhavati Naishtaki by regular attendance in classes on the Bhagavatam and by rendering of service to the pure devotee. All that is troublesome to the heart is almost completely destroyed in loving service to the personality of Godhead, whose praise with transcendental songs is established as an irrevocable fact. Om Ajnana Tamarandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Medatangena Tazmai Shri Gurve Namaha so we're reading from Canto 1, Chapter 3, Text 16, about the 11th incarnation. The 11th incarnation of the Lord took the form of a tortoise whose shell served as a pivot for the Mandarachal hill, which was being used as a churning rod by the theists and the atheists of the universe. Text 17, in the 12th incarnation, the Lord appeared as Dunvantari, and in the 13th, he allured the atheist by, charming, by the charming beauty of a woman. He took the form of a woman and gave nectar to the demigods to drink. Um, maybe I can get it started. Please. Yeah. Is, so we've been reading in this third chapter of the, uh, <laughs> this third chapter of the first canto about... Um, the incarnations or the avatars of Lord Vishnu and it began with a description how Lord Vishnu enters into the entire material world Then he expands into each of the universes within the material world And then he further expands into the heart of every living being within the material world Then we heard about what's called the guna avatars uh, Which are Lord Vishnu uh, Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva and they all in all of these different manifestations have different roles or um responsibilities to take care of and now we're hearing a long list of further incarnations and uh, it built up to hearing about this form as a tortoise and uh, and the next two Dunbuntari and Mohini Morti were just mentioned uh, that we read about uh, further expansions or further portions or plenary portions of of Lord Vishnu um, and each of these as the list goes on and on have different roles and important they just do special things here but uh, Radha Swami, I've heard you speak um, so eloquently in the past about this particular um, narration that we'll read in the eighth canto of the Bhagavatam when we get there eventually. But it's being mentioned here, the churning of the ocean of milk, where the asuras, the, the, you could say the demons and the devas have to work together on a project together. And you've, I've heard you draw so many interesting, uh, beautiful um, lessons from it. So we're wondering if you might share some of that with us today. In Bhagavad Gita, Krishna tells, Yada yada hi dharmasya glanir bhavati bharata, abhyutanam dharmasya tadatmanam srijam yaham. How again and again throughout history, I descend into this world to uplift human society, to show mercy and blessings to all living beings, to reestablish principles of dharma. In fact, 
all the great and true religions of the world have advents of either avatars or pure devotees of these avatars who establish these various religious systems. So in the Bhagavad Purana, there's this beautiful story that Raghunath Prabhu and Kostuba Prabhu are referring to. And there are many lessons, little time, but I'll try to speak something. <laughs> Historically, oftentimes setbacks, reversals, open doors to great benedictions. So here we had very great compassionate devotees called the Devatas who were defeated by these very envious, cruel, exploitative people called the Asuras. And they were quite helpless. So they prayed to God, <laughs> to Vishnu for help. Because in such a situation where there's just nothing you can do, it's the most wonderful situation to take shelter with your whole heart. It's like Raghunath Prabhu so um, eloquently and adventurously tells the story of Draupadi when she was being stripped of her sari. Every time he tells it, it's like a different story. <laughs> <laughs> New details are added. <laughs> I have special vision, Maharaj. I can see that. <laughs> but Draupadi turned to the Pandavas, who were husbands. She turned to the king, Dhritarashtra. She turned to Bhishma, who was her grandfather and the protector of Dharma. She turned to everybody, and nobody could help her. And at that time, she tried to help herself but she was completely defeated. And then she threw her hands in the air and cried out, hey Krishna, hey Govinda. And Krishna incarnated in the form of cloth as a sari. And, and, and because Krishna is unlimited and never ending, the cloth was unlimited and never ending. So she was completely protected. And of the, in the whole life of Draupadi, she was a princess, she was a queen. So many incredible narrations in Mahabharata. But that's the story that everyone remembers. Mm. Because that's the time when she received such a blessing with the direct personal presence of the Lord to protect her to shower, to, to cover her with love, his love. So in a similar way, um, the devatas, who are all trying to do seva, good service for the world, they lost everything. And they prayed to Lord Vishnu. And Lord Vishnu wanted to teach us so many lessons to the whole world. So he told them that sometimes in a situation like this, 
ultimately you're all brothers. Ahambija Prasapita. Everyone is ultimately a child of God. So you should make a truce with them. Stop fighting. You have to come together for a higher principle than all the reasons you're disputing. Go to churn the ocean of milk with the Mandara mountain and through the process of this churning, Amrita, nectar will come, will arise. And whoever drinks that nectar will be full of strength, full of health, will be beyond death. It's the nectar of immortality. And everyone wants that. Whether you're a materialistic person, very cruel and envious, or whether you're a very pious, kind, compassionate person, everyone wants to taste nectar, the nectar of ananda or joy. So there was a truce made. We can give up all of our conflicts and fighting for a higher purpose. And this is a very, very instructive point because sometimes in marriage, sometimes among friends, sometimes among races, among sexes, among religions, among, among there's conflict. The tendency of this world is conflict because some people are trying to exploit other people. And even if you're not trying to exploit, it said the nature of the world is like a bamboo forest. And in a bamboo forest, a breeze comes and the bamboo rubs against each other and fire comes. And the fire burns down the, the forest. Now, which bamboo is to blame? It's because of the breeze. Even the best, most pious bamboos sometimes have conflict when the breeze comes. So there's this breeze of this energy of material nature that brings out these qualities of conflict. But the Gita tells Param Dristvani Bhartate, if we put a higher principle, a higher purpose between us, we could actually rise above all of these differences and conflicts. And that's actually what yoga means. It's to be harmonized and to be united by a higher principle. The principle of self-discovery, spiritual enlightenment. And ultimately in bhakti, the awakening of love and the expression of compassion which is expressed through seva, or loving service. So these people had all differences. They were arch enemies for generations and generations and generations, but they had something to be united in. Just as we can unite our body, our minds, with our hearts, with our souls, with each other, with the environment and nature, with God, that is yoga. So Vishnu gave them this formula. Tell them there's a higher principle and if they cooperate, only can we get it. So they all became one. At least 
to satisfy their own purposes. The devatas for more pure desires and the others for very selfish desires. They lifted the Mandara mountain and put it in this area where there was an ocean of milk. And they started to churn, but then something beyond all of their control happened. The mountain began to sink very quickly toward the bottom of the ocean. Without the mountain, they can't churn. That means there's no possibility of nectar. So they were trying with all their power and all their might to keep the mountain from sinking, but it just sank. And at that time, helpless, the demigods prayed, Vishnu, save us. <laughs> now there's going to be another war and we're going to lose. Please save us. So the Lord, who is ajita, unconquerable, and achintya, inconceivable, manifested a most incredible form. Now one who simply by his will can create the entire cosmic manifestation with all species of life and the sun and the moon and all the stars and what is it that he cannot do? So sometimes when people hear these stories, they think this must be some sort of mythology or some sort of fable for a lesson. Even if you take it that way, there's good lessons. But on a deeper level, what is it that Krishna, that the absolute truth cannot do to attract our hearts? So the Lord appeared suddenly. He just appeared as a gigantic tortoise. But he was all beautiful. He was supremely beautiful. Now this is God. This is the supreme. He could take any form and be more beautiful than anything or anyone that exists. Could you imagine a tortoise being more beautiful than Hollywood or Bollywood stars? <laughs> more beautiful than the one you love? Well, billions and trillions of quadrillions of limitlessly time more beautiful was this tortoise. Everyone was gazing upon this gigantic tortoise and their hearts were melting. He was so sweet, <laughs> yet so powerful. And just moving like a tortoise, he lifted the entire mountain and placed it on his back. And he became like the, the base. And they started churning. <laughs> One of the most incredible things about this story Sukadeva Goswami tells in Srimad Bhagavatam that he wanted everyone to make spiritual progress. Samsidhi Hari Toshanam, the greatest spiritual progress comes 
when through our words, our thoughts, our efforts, through the sincerity of our will, Krishna is pleased. The Supreme Being is pleased by our activities. So just when they were about to begin to churn, which means scraping it in his back, by his own sweet will, he developed an itch on his shell. <laughs> it was actually really itching. And when they started churning, <laughs> this huge mountain on a gigantic tortoise's shell, it was scratching his itch. And Kurma was smiling. Ah, oh, it feels so nice. <laughs> so in this way, everybody was making very good spiritual advancement because they were pleasing the beloved. Now, before this churning pastime took place, when they went to Vishnu, Vishnu told, warned them, as you're churning, so many things are going to come out of that churning. Don't be afraid of what comes out. Don't be attracted to what comes out. And don't be distracted from what comes out. And the churning of this ocean is an allegory of churning our hearts. The process of sadhana, the process of bhakti, the process of yoga is to purify the heart. And the process of purification is not always easy. It takes practice. It takes effort. And especially the instruction given here is it takes determination and patience if you want to make real progress. This chanting of the holy name is compared to the churning of the heart to make it pure. So they churned. They were serving together with all their strength. And these were powerful beings. But nothing happened. And they kept doing more and more and more. It's like our sadhana. Sometimes we're chanting the holy name. Sometimes we're doing our yoga practice. Sometimes we're following so many yamas and niyamas and everything is, we're just so enthusiastic and it seems nothing's happening. But that's good. <laughs> it's good in the sense if we're actually sincere and doing our sadhana, our practice properly, then having patience is actually a quality of surrender. And it's actually bringing us deeper and deeper. So nothing was happening but they kept trying and trying and trying until they were totally exhausted and now they're helpless again. They prayed to Lord Vishnu, we can't even move anymore, please help us. 
And he personally came and infused them with, it, with divine energy and at the same time personally helped them. And now they're churning more and more and more with t total absorption and keeping their mind on their goal, the nectar. We have to get the nectar. We're not going to stop until we get that nectar. And the first thing that came out of the churning was poison, the most deadly, horrible poison that has ever been created. It was called hala hala. Now we've heard of poison before, but not hala hala. <laughs> this hala hala, its power, its strength could actually destroy all life in the universe. And it was coming out more violently than millions of volcanic eruptions. Which is, which is coming right out into the air, traveling all over space. And nothing could stop it from growing and growing and expanding in all directions. There was nothing anybody could do about this, except turn to Vishnu, to the Lord, <laughs> save us. It's only a matter of minutes till all life is destroyed by this poison. If we think that we have an environmental ecological problem in the world today, this is very, very insignificant. This is something that in a matter of minutes was going to destroy all life. So they all cried out like Draupadi, hey Krishna, hey Govinda, save us. And Lord Vishnu wanted to glorify the great Devata, the great avatar Shiva. And he said, let us go to Kailash the abode of Shiva. And they prayed, they explained everything that was going, they had to do it really fast. <laughs> <laughs> Please save us, save the world, save the universe. Do you know what Lord Shiva did? He turned to his wife, Bhavani. And he said to her that there is such a crisis now. Everything is about to be destroyed. It is the duty of a saintly person, the duty of a person with compassion to undergo any type of difficulties to help others. He said, even though there are so many people in this world who due to their exploitative selfish nature are prone to be fighting all the time, so much animosity, still it's the duty of a person close to God to forgive them, to have compassion on them, and to do anything to help them. 
physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He asked her permission. May I drink all the poison? And Bhavani, the feminine power of the absolute, blessed him. Shiva, Shankar Bhagavan, by his inconceivable yogic powers, he took this massive quantity of poison that was literally everywhere and condensed it to fit in the palm of his hand. Can you imagine how powerful that was? I don't know if you still have it because I'm living here in India as a sadhu, but when I was a little boy, there was orange juice and then there was orange juice concentrate. <laughs> Where, you know, you just take a, instead of pouring, you know, instead of squeezing like 25 oranges, you just take like one teaspoon and add water and it's the same potency. Well, the original person who invented this technology of concentrate was Lord Shiva. <laughs> he concentrated that poison in such a way that it was vibrant with poison. It was an ocean in the form of, of just some drops in his hand. And he drank it. When he drank it, a blue line formed on his neck. His name is glorified forever as Nilakanta or Kalakanta. Because usually a dark line on a person's neck doesn't look so nice. <laughs> but for Lord Shiva, everyone, we, we love him for that. There's mortis all over the place of him like that. Why? Because it's the ornament of his compassion. And it is said in this context, in the Bhagavad Purana by Sukadev Goswami, that the greatest way to please the Lord and to make spiritual progress is to accept suffering to bring other people happiness. Karuna or compassion is the ultimate seva. And Lord Shiva was the personification of this. Srila Prabhupada tells a story of Vasudev Dutt. Vasudev Dutt, he Pray to Lord Chaitanya, I can't tolerate seeing people suffering. It breaks my heart. Please let all their karmas and all their sufferings come on me and let them all go back to the spiritual world and be happy with you. And when Vasudev prayed like that from his heart, Lord Chaitanya cried, he wept. His voice was choked. This is the way great saintly people think. Yeah. 
a lesson we could learn from this is when through our yoga process, when through our bhakti, our sadhana, we're churning the heart, we're purifying it, the first thing that happens is the impurities in our heart start coming to the surface. We have so much lust and so much greed and so much anger and so much envy and so much selfishness and so much arrogance and egoism and, and illusion and so many other things. And for so many births, we've been cultivating these things. We don't even know how much we have. We can't even see it all. It only comes to the surface every now and then. Just like if you go to the ocean and you just look out at the ocean, you don't see fish, but every now and then one jumps up and you say, oh, there's a fish. I remember in California, I sit there and a dolphin goes, you, and I go, oh, there's dolphin. <laughs> we only see it when it comes to the surface, but how many fish are under the surface, but they're all there. So we have so many desires and so many what's called anartas or impurities that are countless within our minds and only one at a time or two at a time or a few at a time just come to the surface and we recognize them. But what's there? So the process of purification, the first thing that happens is that stuff starts coming to the surface. And sometimes it's scary. Sometimes we think, maybe I should stop this churning. <laughs> it seems like instead of getting better, I'm getting worse. But with determination and with association of people who keep us focused on our goal, if we're sincere, even when that's happening, there's a joy. And after all the poison was gone, Then, then what happened is so many wonderful things started coming out of the ocean. And they had to decide what to do with it all. There was beautiful Sarabi cows, there was beautiful horses, there was beautiful elephants, there was gold and there was silver. And I'd like to tell one thing that's really important in this story, it's from the ocean as they were churning, as they were performing their sadhana, a jewel emerged called Kostuba. <laughs> I, I didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> this is the birth of Kostuba in this world. <laughs> and everybody, they saw this is the most beautiful jewel that has ever existed. And they brought that jewel to Lord Vishnu and he placed it around him and forever he wears that jewel over his heart. Mm. Well, this was another test. The poison of seeing our anartas and so many challenges coming from within and without is one test. But then when... There's so many irresistible opportunities and, 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 and gifts that start coming to us. 
but we can be distracted by that too. So they just kept churning, just like we keep chanting. <laughs> and the most wonderful thing happened. From the ocean came another incarnation of the Lord Vishnu, Danvantari. He was very beautiful. He's a guru of the universe, and he is the, he taught the science of Ayurveda. And he's the presiding spiritual force within Ayurveda. He's the Lord himself. And Danvantari was holding a beautiful pot filled with Amrita or nectar. The Shikshastakam by Sri Chaitanya begins, Jaito Dharapana Marajanam Bhava Mahadavagni Nirvapnamanam Shreya Kairava Chandra Kavitaranam Vidya Vithu Jeevanam Anandam Bhudivaradanam Pratipatam Punam Ritatsvam The nectar, the happiness, the pleasure that we're all seeking within the pot of our very hearts. It's the nectar of love, Prem Amrita. It's the only true nectar of all nectars. It's ecstatic love. Everyone's seeking it. But in this world, we get so distracted and diverted by other alternatives that can never satisfy our hearts or our souls, except God's love. So it is that nectar that Dunvantari had within his pot. In the, from the allegoric perspective of the nectar that we are all seeking. And at that time, all of a sudden, because it was right there, another temptation. The very materialistic asuras, now that the nectar was there, we had our alliance, but now we don't need it anymore. They just ran and stole it. And Danvantari let them take it. <laughs> so now there was another crisis. Now the devatas, the, the pious people who were devotees of the Lord, they started crying, now what are we going to do? Now it's worse than ever. Now they have it all. And if they drink it, they're going to be more powerful than ever before, we're already defeated by them. And Vishnu said, just be patient, see what happens. If any one of them drank it, they would have been immortal and unconquerable. But among themselves, each one felt that they deserved to drink it first. 
because there's a certain prestige where you're going out in history. You're the one who first got the honors. So they all were bragging about what they have accomplished and who they were and how they deserve it first. And they started arguing and they started fighting. And as soon as one tried to drink it, another grabbed it away from him, another tried to drink it, another grabbed it. And they, nobody could drink it because they were fighting among themselves. And the demigods were just sitting there crying, what are we going to do? <laughs> They prayed, and then the Lord incarnated as a beautiful, beautiful incarnation of a goddess. And she was so beautiful. Everyone, and she looked at every one of them, and every one of them thought, she loves me. <laughs> and they were so convinced, she loves me. Because that's Krishna's power. Krishna can make everyone feel, I love only you. But the nature of that is when that, when you, when that love touches you, you become completely free of envy. And you want to see everyone experiencing this love. But they were not like that. That's the way we're supposed to be. So they... <laughs> They all together said, we want to give this pot of nectar to you. And you could decide who gets it, because each one was convinced she's going to give it to me. So she took it, and she started pouring it in the mouth of each demigod. And the, and the asuras who gave it to her, they didn't want to displease her, so they didn't say anything. And then after she gave all the nectar to the demigods and they were unconquerable and full of happiness, then she turned into Vishnu and smiled at them and left. <laughs> <laughs> so in this way, um, Krishna's pastimes and Krishna's mercy is always perfect and complete. But from a sociological perspective, from a spiritual perspective, from the perspective of psychology and human nature, there's so much to learn from this story. What is the nature of selfishness? What is the nature of greed and envy? How it could turn people against each other? And what is the actual ultimate purpose of life. As Raghunath was saying, we all need a compass, a compass to keep us focused on what will bring us closer to that nectar. And in bhakti, that nectar is prema. It's divine love. And all the challenges that come in the process of trying to cleanse our hearts, to excavate and connect again with it, and all the distractions and all the attractions and everything that happens, we, it's very important. Satsang, association with like-minded and enlightened people and keeping a daily sadhana, a daily spiritual practice, it helps 
to not only cleanse our hearts, but it helps us to keep focused on the compass of what our real goal is. These are a few stories in regard to the turning of the ocean of milk and the coming of Kurma Avatar and Danvantari Avatar and Mohini Murti Avatar, who are the subjects of today's verses. Uh, Maharaj. <laughs> we love you. That was a lot better than we do every day on the yeah, show. Much better. <laughs> Usually it's just me screaming at everybody. And... You, you deserve the rest today, Raghunath. <laughs> Your screaming is, is the, most please, the most pleasing nectar to all of our hearts. <laughs> Marge, we'd love to hear you share something because there's, there's a hundred people listening and uh, as well as our group here and then people will download and hear. Would you like to share something about the Govardhan Echo Village and your vision for it? Um, we're all impressed. We've been here many times, but a lot of people, they, they've just heard about it and they want to come. Can you please tell us your vision for it and how we can support it? Our vision is to try to create an ambience, a community, as much as possible, a holy place where Raghunath Prabhu and Kostuba Prabhu, you will be happy to bring students every year. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of bhakti is bhakti yoga, creating harmony through love. And Seva, Srila Prabhupada, our beloved guru, he translated bhakti as devotional service because love is expressed through our willingness to please the beloved through service. And the greatest service is to be instruments of compassion to others. So if we accept that sarva loka maheshwaram, everything is the property of our beloved Lord, of Krishna, with many names, then everything is God's property. Nothing is mine. This body, I'm living in this body. I'm the eternal soul seeing through the eyes and hearing through the ears. But this body is actually a gift of God through material nature. And this mind is subtle material nature. And all the resources, whether it be land or property or money or intelligence or abilities, when we think this is mine, then prakriti kriyamanani gunai karmani sarvasha. That's the very root cause of all illusion and suffering. But when we recognize, when we're grateful for and appreciate that this is God's gift entrusted to, to me and to us, 
in that state, when we actually have a mood of bhakti yoga, then how can we exploit anything or anyone? Every living being is a child of God and every, all of creation is the property of God. Entrusted in my care, whatever abilities, whatever skills to serve. As Lord Shiva, we, we just heard, he was willing to endure any difficulty to show compassion to others. His greatest happiness was to see others happy. Paradukaduki, to feel others' sufferings and rejoice others' happiness is the symptom of a true yogi. So to, sh to show compassion to other humans, to animals, to birds, to insects, everything is connected and everyone is connected. And if we actually really care, we will pursue the idea of compassion in a holistic way. If the air is polluted, everyone suffers. If the water is polluted, if the earth is polluted, if we really care about people, then we have to care for the environment. Yoga means harmony living in harmony with nature. Mother Nature is giving us so many gifts and bhakti is we give her back with love, gratitude, and appreciation what will restore her, what will energize her. Not pollution. So as far as possible, we try to see every opportunity to serve. So there are many things we've tried to develop. Practically, we just use our wildest imagination of how to apply this principle to life. So we're walking on the earth. What is the potential opportunities of how to serve with Mother Earth? Can grow food. And if it's organic food, it's sustainable. And it's incredible. We learned these technologies through ancient traditions and through modern science where we just take the earth and compress it into a brick and let it sit in the sun for a few days. And we made almost a million bricks now. This building is made with those bricks. It's actually unbelievable that these buildings are made out of these bricks. It's like, uh, you know, when you think about, okay, we're going to live in some uh, mud huts. They're not mud huts. You know, where we're staying is incredibly beautiful. It just shows what you, when, you're, when your focus is in the right place and your respect for the environment, all your creativity gets used in the appropriate way. We're, we're so impressed. <laughs> Actually, it's just mud. <laughs> <laughs> Your divine mud, Maharaj. But this, but this mud bricks are supposed to last hundreds of years. Wow. And let us see. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea 
that we're trying to share here in the community is there's if we have a will to serve and we're looking for an opportunity to serve we see so many beautiful opportunities even in the most ordinary things and in my last discussion with all of you we went into great detail quite ghastly detail about our about our sewage plant because sewage is real You can't, you could, you could flush it down, but it doesn't make it disappear. It's just out of your sight. It has to go somewhere. <laughs> but actually, it's not a liability. It's a resource. And it can actually create, just by natural process, sweet, fragrant flowers, crystal clear water to energize, purify the environment. And we have this water harvesting where when it rains, we collect the, every drop of rain is precious. If we just let it go, then we lose the opportunity. Mm. There's drought eight months a year here. If you collect the rain during monsoons properly, recharging the underwater with these collections, then throughout the year. And in this way, these are spiritual activities because we're not just doing it as environmentalists. We're environmentalists because we love God and we're trying to reciprocate with God's grace and we're trying to live in a spirit of God's compassion. And that gives such a deep spiritual meaning to environmentalism. And it becomes inseparable from bhakti. And we have animal sanctuary, and, a, and it's becoming a bird sanctuary and a butterfly sanctuary. And it, it, one of the most beautiful reasons that the eco-village is able to do, you know, whatever little we're trying to do is simple villagers, who really have no education at all, modern education, but who know a lot of traditional um, ways of living. And industrialists and PhDs from major universities in America. And just mothers with little children. In, the, in, in little straw huts living in local villages, everyone with respect and appreciation for the values that everyone gives is united. And when there's that unity, when there's respect for each other, despite our differences, when we're seeing the potential we all have, however big or small, when that cultural mindset is in place, then God's grace, Sri Radharani's grace, performs miracles through all of us. And none of us can take credit for it. We want to give it credit to everyone else because there's actually more joy in giving credit to someone else than taking it ourselves. That's the nature of love. Mm -hmm. 
And when we're not com- combating over who gets the credit and, who's get it and who gets the, the resources, but we're actually in this mood of service, then life is joyful. We become purified. And as we become purified, we actually become instruments of purification. And that's kind of the principles that we've tried to develop over on Eco Village. We have a yoga school and we have an Ayurvedic hospital and we have so many different farming projects. And we go out every day to the villages and teach these different sciences and techniques and, and different forms of education to the villagers. And um, it's a great joy. Because, so impressed. because in giving, we do receive. We encourage everyone to uh, Google uh, Govardhan Eco Village, and you can go to their website and see about Maharaj. Is, it's actually just the tip of the iceberg of all that they do here, what he's mentioning. They do so much. It's a wonderful project. It's a wonderful project to support. So please go there and take a look at that. Also, if you're new on your spiritual journey, a great, and it's the book I recommend. We have all our students read it, uh, um, our teacher trainings, A Journey Home. And you find your own journey in Maharaj's walk from uh, Holland to the Himalayas. And um, the second book that came out, A Journey Within, also incredible book. Um, these are two staples I recommend to everybody on a spiritual journey. It is the modern day autobiography of a yogi. Um, and we've all fallen in love with it. I could, I'm sure I could speak for everybody here. So many of the people listening on Zoom right now are students of yours. Many have been here, in, in here, taking the trainings. And we encourage you to join us for our trainings in next January and just to have access to Maharaja so that he can really see him. We see him wandering around. He comes in and speaks to us. Um, he's very, very, it's very, very, yeah, it's very busy all year, Maharaj. We know your schedule, your traveling schedule. I think I travel like crazy. You travel so, it's unbelievable what you do. And just to have you here for this month is like, we feel like the most fortunate. They do. Raghunath at Kustuva Prabhu's. You are both my life and soul. You give me such inspiration, such joy, and I'm just amazed by the incredible way that you inspire everybody you come in contact with. Anything they like of us, we got from you. <laughs> so true. All the stuff they don't like about us, that's ours. <laughs> There's a lot of it. <laughs> uh, I usually end with a little music, Maharaj. Yes. Um, uh, that being said, <laughs> I want to thank everybody who's listening on Apple Podcasts. Hey, go to Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review. That's the best way you can support us. Get... Um, Five stars to say something nice. YouTube. Go ahead and, it's also available on YouTube and uh, wherever else you get a podcast. Thanks for joining us and we'll speak to you. We'll see you tomorrow. And a real special warm thanks to His Holiness Radna Swami and all that he does. How do you oh. And we 
had had 100 listeners and plus more because many were with their friends and partners online on, on the Zoom. On the Zoom group. So thanks to everybody joining us for Zoom. 